Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, everyone, and good morning to you, and good morning to uh, mom and dad and those online. Uh, but uh, isn't it crazy to think in two weeks it's mm-hmm. uh, it's Christmas, <laughs> Christmas, and uh, but here we go. This is uh, if you're visiting today, really glad you're here. Uh, in fact, after the service, I'd like uh, love to connect with you at our info counter. But uh, welcome to all of you. Uh, this is the third week of our Advent series. Advent's the four weeks leading up to to Christmas. So far, we've looked at God's love, God's loyal. Love. Last weekend, Andrew did a wonderful job looking at uh, joy, God's joy, the kind of joy that's not dependent upon our circumstances, but uh, a much greater joy that's found in proximity, closeness uh, to Jesus. This weekend, we're going to be looking at peace. And you can see there on the screens, it's, uh, this series is called Psalms of Advent. So we're, we're choosing or looking at a different psalm each week as a jumping off point for, uh, for our talks. And this weekend, we're going to be looking at Psalm uh, 4. But before we go to Psalm 4, uh, let's talk a little bit about peace. Um, I want to hear from you. Uh, what comes to your mind when you hear the word uh, hopscotch? No, okay, that was the curveball, wasn't it? You thought I was, okay. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word peace? You, say it out loud. <laughs> what was that? No war. No war, anything, okay. Contentment. Contentment. Calm. Calm. Rest, one more. Oh, two more, that's okay. Okay, but here, here's, okay. <laughs> So that's super, okay, that's helpful. Here's how the dictionary defines peace. What is peace? Peace is the non-warring condition of a nation, group of nations or the world, a state of mutual harmony between people or groups, especially in personal relations. And when I look at that, uh, that definition, it, I think that's helpful. But you know what I noticed? When we try to define peace, we define it more by what isn't there than by what is there. Isn't that interesting? Like, I, like, like we define peace, we focus more on the absence of war, the absence of conflict. That's what we call peace. Well, the Bible would say, well, you're almost there with, with that definition. In the Bible, God shows us a much greater, a much fuller picture of peace. Listen to this. Uh, in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of war or conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. Biblical peace is not just what isn't there. Biblical peace really is built around what, or let's be honest, who, who is there. In the Old Testament, which was originally written in uh, Hebrew, the, uh, the word for peace is shalom. And then in the New Testament, originally written uh, in Greek, the word for peace is arene. And both those words, basically, a very simple definition would be, what is peace? Peace is well, when something is complete, when something is whole. And, or else you could use words like prosperity, well-being, health, harmony, safety, and of course, the absence of war <clears throat> and conflict. But the picture I'm trying to paint is that biblical peace compared to worldly peace, if you will, is, is a full, full life, 
full experience of all that is good, complete, just a, a complete peace that we see offered in the Bible. <clears throat> One of the prophetic scriptures that we read uh, this time of year that's pointing to Jesus around this, the, the context of peace, Isaiah 9 verse 6 says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, I'm sure you're singing along with me in your minds, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Oh, and look at that. He'll be called the prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, shalom peace, complete peace, there will be no end. In this season of Advent, Advent really is this, there's the, it's this season of anticipating, of waiting of the, the, for the arrival of someone. And in this case, the one who's, uh, whose arrival we're anticipating is really the one that Isaiah just started to describe, right, in, in talking about Jesus. And that's the, that's the presence. That's the one who we both celebrate and are waiting for his arrival, his return in this season of Advent. And again, one of the names of Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And I was thinking about that. Like, what does it mean when, when someone is the Prince of something? Like, if I said, hey, good morning, my name is Michael, and I am the Prince of Egypt, right? Great movie. If I said I'm the Prince of Egypt, what does that mean? Well, doesn't it mean then that as the Prince of Egypt that I have, I have authority, I have rank, I have power, I have privilege, I have freedom, I have full access to the king and all his resources in the realm of, of Egypt. I'm a prince. Well, Jesus, among many, many, many other titles, Jesus is the prince of peace. Jesus is the prince of, of biblical peace, this realm of perfect, complete, whole, full life peace. And within that realm, Jesus has full authority. Jesus has the highest rank, the greatest power, the most privilege, the, the most freedom. Jesus has full access to the king and all his resources within that realm, within that realm of peace. And before I pray, isn't it, isn't it both accurate and crazy that we live at a time uh, with so much technology, so many comforts, so many resources, and yet when you look at our culture, we need coffee to wake us up in the morning. Thank you, Lord. We need energy drinks to get us through the day. And then we need sleeping pills to get us to go to sleep at night. Isn't that accurate? I mean, just watch TV. They're, they're pounding that stuff. They're pounding that stuff all the time. When I look at that, I think, wow, what we need, well, really what we need is, is this peace that I'm talking about. And what we're going to see in this psalm, what we're going to learn from David, the writer of the psalm, is uh, really the difference. The difference that the peace of God makes in our life, but even simply uh, when it comes to having a good night's sleep. Uh, so let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into Psalm 4. So Lord, thanks for uh, just a new day. And as I look out on all these beautiful people, I thank you that you know everyone in this room. I thank you that you know everyone who's watching right now. You're right there close. Uh, I pray that you would come and have your way in all of our hearts and minds and lives today. I pray, Lord, just... Any, any small P powers that would want to distract or deafen 
your kids to the truth today? Would you just pull them back and hold them back? I pray that um, as we talk about peace, your peace, I pray that it would, it would just permeate our, our hearts at a, at a deeper level today. So just come, have your way in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're gonna be looking at, at Psalm 4. I said earlier, excuse me, I said earlier, um, it was uh, written by David. We don't know when David wrote this. Uh, and we don't know why David wrote this. And I say why, because remember uh, in, this, in this series, we're looking at Psalms, which are songs. And these songs are written as a response to the stuff of life. Maybe something going on in, in, in David's life, or in this case, I think maybe something going on within the, the nation of Israel. They would write these songs, but we don't know fully why uh, David wrote this psalm, but I have some thoughts, which I'll share later. But for now, in this series, we've been reading the psalm together to kick off our talk. So we're going to be reading Psalm 4. It'll be up on the screen, so please join me. This is a short one. Uh, it's only eight verses, so let's read this together. Here we go. Psalm 4. Bing. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord. Make me dwell in safety. Now, uh, again, we're not sure why David wrote that psalm, but, but note that I hope as we were going through it, you thought, oh, this is kind of weird, the flow of this psalm. Because there really is this, this back and forth. And what I mean is it's like David starts off, he's talking to God. And then all of a sudden he's talking to some, to some, uh, to some people. And, and, then it, and then it flips back, you know, talking to God. And a couple of the commentaries that I read this week, they speculated, again, speculated as to why uh, David wrote this psalm. And there, what they said was that, well, there had been a national crisis. There had been a crop failure. Uh, and, you know, in, in the land of Israel, of which David uh, was the king of Israel, excuse me, and uh, this, you know, brought, whether it was by drought or whatever, but there had been a, a crop failure. And so there was a question among the people. And again, in these commentaries, all these smart people that, you know, study and try to help us understand, they said that these people are not just any people. They said that these people that David's referring to are like higher ranking people. And they may even be leaders within David's, you know, uh, court. But it looks like these people are looking at the crop failure and they're, and they're basically saying to David, hey, it looks like God has let us down. He's not looking after us. Uh, do you think, David, we need to seek the help of another God to, to remedy the problem? Uh, and, and, and so, again, lots of speculation there. But, but, in, but uh, uh, I think it's helpful. I think all that is helpful for the context because when you look at what we see is in this psalm, uh, based on that context, is that David now is the king. 
you know, as the songwriter, he's really what he does in this psalm is he starts to now lead and teach the people through a song, which I think is really cool as a songwriter myself and as a worship leader. You know, in this psalm song, David is basically, you know, pointing the people back to God. He's counseling them. He's teaching them. He's reminding the people to be confident in God, to be confident in God's ways, especially in the time of crisis. And in the midst of, of all that, we see David in, in, in a very personal way having this interaction, really appealing to God on behalf of the nation. And again, I think it's really cool that he's, he's leading, teaching the people through a song. And where some commentaries call this psalm a lament, if you remember that from a couple of weeks ago, a lament is an expression of grief or sorrow. Other commentaries, which I tend to agree with, they see this more as an instructional psalm of praise not a psalm of, of lament. And really, David is, is in this psalm, he's, it's, a, it's praise to God. He's declaring uh, his confidence in the character of God in this psalm. So my first point is uh, simply that, confident in the God, confidence in the God who is with us. Okay, and I'm gonna do a little bit of a flip-flop here. I'm not gonna start uh, at verse one of the psalm. I'm actually gonna start at verse six. So for my... Uh, okay, we'll just keep going. But last weekend, Andrew looked at Psalm 98, and he talked about the joy uh, that we experience, the joy that we can expect when we get close to Jesus. In this psalm, uh, this psalm points us to the peace that we can experience, the peace that we can expect uh, when Jesus is close. So uh, uh, let me read this to you. Verse 6, David says this. He says, Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, uh, you know, when we look at that context, that speculated context, if you will, how is it that David, right? David's the king. David has massive responsibilities and, you know, and, he, and he's, he's the king during a time of national crisis of some sort. And how is it then in that place that he's able to lie down and sleep in peace? Well, my, like my first point said, well, it's because he's confident in the God who is with them. And uh, many refer to this psalm as an evening devotional. I think the language points to the fact that there's a good chance maybe David, you know, wrote this song, if you will, at bedtime. Uh, but, but there's that kind of language in it. And it looks like something, you know, uh, something that came out just before he went to sleep at night. And I was thinking about what is it about bedtime when, you know, when you're trying to go to sleep, I, I think we're, I don't think I'm alone in this, where what is it, you know, you go throughout the day and, and all the anxieties and fears and worries that you've been able to sort of keep at bay, what is it about when you put your head on your pillow, dun, 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 they all just come, you know, they come crashing down on you. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Um, here's a really cool thing for many years. Uh, when I look back, to, when I was a kid, I was that kid who got homesick. Don't put your hand up if that's you, but you can, we could talk about it later. But like I was that kid at camp, at, you know, staying at friend's place. During the day, I'm having a blast. I'm distracted. I'm not thinking about it. It's fun, fun, fun. And then uh, I have so many memories in it when it's nighttime, my head's on the pillow and the lights are turned off and it's quiet 
And it really was like a fog rolling in. Boom, 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 boom. Here it came. And it was like this, you know, I don't know if it was, well, whatever homesickness is, fear, anxiety. And I have so many memories as a kid of, I want to go home. I want to go home. And, and to that, Helen once said to me, Michael, you can't go home. It's our honeymoon. So uh, you can ask Helen about that. That was a real high point. She knew she'd married the right man when I said that. But what is it about that time of day? You know, there's just something about that, that evening time. And so, and I think, again, this is David. When we're looking at David here, this is that time of day, evening devotional. And the people, you know, the key leaders, uh, it seems like they've given up on God. And it looks like they're pressuring David to do something. So, uh, so how does David respond to that? Like, how does he respond to that question where, you know, he says to God, hey, God, you've heard the people. You've heard what they're saying to me. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? Who's, who's going to bring us prosperity? Who's going to fix this problem? So David, basically, he starts off this way. This is how he responds. He, he starts by recognizing his limits. And really what he says to the people is, you know what I'm going to do? Here's my response to your question. I'm going to run to God right now. He says this after their question. He, he, he says, Lord, let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. And that looks like an interesting response to the, to the problem, to their question. But really what they're doing, we have, this is language we use a lot in the vineyard. Really what they're doing is David is doing something we call making an exchange. David's making an exchange. He's lying on his bed and basically he's saying, you know what, God, as that, you know, as the anxiety rolls in on him, I guess I could try and figure this out on my own. But uh, let's be honest, this problem is way bigger than me. I have no idea how to fix this. So I'm going to give, you know, the crisis. I'm going to give their accusations, the, you know, the pressure of the people. I'm going to give all that to you, God, in, ex- in, in exchange. Would you come close to me? Would you, you know, in exchange, give me your presence? Give me your peace. And when David, when David says to God, God, let the light of your face shine on us. Understand that that's, that's really intimate language. Because what David is saying to God is he's saying, God, would you come so close? Would you come so close to me right now that I could literally feel and experience the essence of your face? Like, isn't there just something about the human face? Like, I was thinking back to, you know, we went through this thing called COVID, COVID where masks were more and more common. And, 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 and because of that, remember during that season, it was, it was really hard to connect with people. It was really hard to experience the essence of people. Do you remember that? Like, I don't know, if I got a dollar for every time I said, boy, I'm, it, you know, I can't read you when all I can see are, is right here. I don't want to, you know what I'm saying, right? Just someone nod, good, yeah, so that's what I'm talking about. Thank you. To our online viewers. But it, there was like, there was this barrier. It, you know, and basically David is saying in this place of making an exchange, God, you know, part of the exchange is, would you remove the barrier and would you whom, just come so, so close right, uh, right now. And really what we see David doing in making this exchange, I want to point out, look at how how he's making this exchange with God. David is actually doing something that uh, Paul would later teach in Philippians 3, verse 6. 
Paul said this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this may sound simple at first, but I thought, look at that. Look at how God, look what, look at how God is teaching us, he's, how he's instructing us, here's how you make exchanges with me. And, and look how you do it. You do it with words. Isn't that interesting? Like, like, because that's interesting to me because I go, wait a minute, what does that tell us about God? When God says, hey, you know, uh, this is how I want you to make exchanges with me. I want you to talk to me. That tells me, wow, I think God is way more relational than we realize. Like, like, I mean, he could have said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, my son, my daughter, when you're anxious and afraid, remember what you were taught. You know, do this three steps of stop, drop, and roll. Right? Like, it's sort of like, like very impersonal. But that's not what he's saying. What he's really saying is, hey, if you're anxious, son, if you're afraid, daughter, why don't you come close to me? And why don't you tell me all about it? And why don't you get, you know, unload it through words? Come talk to me. And again, it's not, and, 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 and it's what David is, is showing us here is, it's, and, it's, and it's not a distant thing. It's let me come face to face with you. And as you unload through those words, then, then let the essence, let the light of my face shine on you and, and, and give you, give you peace. So in a sense, David's saying, hey, you want to find peace? Uh, he's teaching the people, well, then you, you need to lean into God's forever presence. You need to hand over to him whatever is weighing you down and do it and do it with, with words. So that's number one, confidence in the God who is with us. Number two, confidence in the God who listens. Again, this psalm declares David's confidence in God. And one of the areas he's confident about is God's uh, full-on attentiveness to his prayers. Now we'll go back to verse one. It says this, answer me, David says, answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself, and the Lord hears when I call to him. Now, there's a sort of that confusing back and forth going on there again between, you know, David's talking to God, and then it seems like he's talking to these people. But here's my hunch. Like, the visual I get, again, this is an evening devotional. The visual I get is David is, is lying in bed. He's the king. He's got her high-end, tempur cooling bed. And it's the end of the day. It's time for sleep. And, and he's going back over his day. Dun, dun. <laughs> like, like what we all do, it's all rolling back over and he's, he's processing the crisis, the response, you know, the words of the people, their questions, etc. He's calling out to God. He's making uh, that exchange and, and through words. And the thing is, look, look at the way, what jumped out at me is look at the way that David talks to God in, in this section. And, and when I look at verse three, to me, it, like, it almost sounds like, whoa, David, that's a little bit, that's a little arrogant. Look what he says. Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. And then listen to this. The Lord hears when I, when I call to him. Like, that's pretty bold. Don't you think? That's pretty confident. 
that he has such confidence in God's, uh, uh, God's attentiveness to, uh, towards him. One of the things that I've always admired about David is the, the incredible boldness that he has before God. If you're familiar with the story, the life of David, you, you know, re- read that story or look at the Psalms. Like this guy, David approached God in a way that it showed that he, he, he just knew. He just knew he was welcome in God's presence. Right? And, and this is at a time before Jesus. This is at a time before the cross and you know, Jesus paying the price for our sin or removing the barrier between us and God. Like David still had this sense, even then, that he knew he was special. He was special to God, and so he acted that way. He approached God that way. He, uh, he, he talked to God that way. He expected an answer from God that way. And, but, but when you look at the writings of David, it's also clear that David knew he hadn't done anything to earn that privilege. Uh, he knew that it was, no, no, this is because of you, God. This is because of your incredible love and mercy. He says this in verse one. He says, answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. And uh, that's the NIV. Other translations say it, I think, a more helpful way. Answer me when I call to you, O God of my righteousness. That makes more sense to me. Righteousness, you could think right standing. Basically, David is... David is saying to God, he's appealing to God, he approaches God, talks to God, expects God to hear him based on what God has done. Like he is, his approach to God is based on the grounds of who God says he is, of who, you know, of, of really, of, he's just responding to God's invitation uh, to him. David's basically saying to God, you know, uh, God, I'm in this position, this relationship with you. I'm the king of this nation. You established this nation. You established this position I'm in. And it's not because I've earned it or made it happen, but it's, but it's because what you have done for me. David knows he's special to God because, well, because God says, David, you're, you're special to me. And so he approaches with incredible confidence, expecting to be welcomed by God, expecting to be heard by God, expecting to be helped by God. And so let me ask you this. Just consider that. How how do you approach God? Like, do you approach God, well, like what I'm saying, do you approach God with confidence? Like, what? how do you think God responds when you turn towards him? Oh. Do you think like do you think that's how he responds, or do you think when you turn towards God, he's really glad to see you? Like he that, that it's like oh oh Dan Dan's reach, Dan's calling like like how do you think he responds to you? Do you think he's listening? Do you think he cares? I think that's a super uh, important question concept to ponder because I think however you would answer that speaks to how you see God. It speaks to what you think he thinks of you. And in this Advent season, really, you know, we, we celebrate, well, we celebrate what God thinks of us. We're celebrating that God so loved you, so loved me, so loved however many people on the planet right now, and loves that he sent his son. He sent his son down to earth to, to you know, whip us into shape, to condemn us and, you know, show us where we're messing up. no to rescue us and to restore us. And, and really in this Psalm, David is modeling for us what Jesus in this season you know, uh, is offering to all of us. That's, hey, full, 
full acceptance, full adoption into the family of God, full access, full access to all of your father's resources. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? Like when I go home, I, you know, and we don't go back to Canada as often, and, but when I do, I still just by habit, I just go look in the fridge. I don't know why. And, and mom, my mom loves that. <laughs> and my mom's a great cook. But I mean, but it's like, but, but it's like if you walked into God's kitchen, he would love it if you just opened the fridge and said, hey, like I, that, that analogy starts to break down a little bit, but I'm thinking about lunch right now. But what I'm saying is that's what it means to be a Christian. It's intimate. It's face to face. It's like, I think if we knew right now how much he was leaning into us, I think we'd just go, I think we'd just explode for joy. That he, he, he wants you. He wants you. He wants you to come close. That's, that's his invitation to, to, to all of us, whether it's for the first time, if you've never started a relationship with Jesus, or you've been a Christian for 60 years, he's still leaning into you and saying, hey, Hey, this is what I'm offering to you. God's desire for all of us is this. Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Where we failed, Jesus succeeded. And because of that, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And let me add to that, to help us find a peaceful sleep because of that confidence in the the attentiveness and the goodness of God. So number one, confidence in the God who is with us, confidence in the God who's listening. And then number three, confidence in the ways of God. So David is the king. He's the leader of the people, but he's not just the leader politically, you know, economically. Uh, He's also the leader religiously in the sense of part of his kingly role for David would be also a priestly role. Again, you know, he's to lead, he's to teach the people on how to have, you know, stay in right relationship with God, how to talk to God, approach God, and all these things. And in these final two verses, we see David continuing to teach the people of God, and and he's focusing in on the ways of God. So let me read last two verses, verses four and five. David says, tremble and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. And again, I've been talking all along, evening devotional. You can really see that language. It's, it's, it's that end of day, now I lay me down to sleep uh, language there. And so in verse four, David, he's saying to the people, hey, tremble and do not sin. And again, I, this is David. He's functioning in such a priestly role because remember the context, the, these people, whoever they are, leaders, you know, have have... Are, are, as they look at the crisis, what they're doing is they're, they're really they're abandoning ship. Or what, what's their, what they're tempted to do is, look, I don't think our God's helping us here. We need to go find another, another God. And David, is, and David is saying to them, he's calling them like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Don't go there. 
That would be sin. Don't go there. He's calling them back to faithfulness, to God alone. You know, he's, again, he's being very priestly uh, towards them. And he's basically saying in this condition of, you know, whether it's whatever's making you tremble, right? Anxiety, fear, we need to figure this out. We need another God. Of, you know, and he's basically saying in that condition, uh, don't sin. Don't run to anyone but to God. Verse four, he continues, tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. And again, he keeps coming back to that, that end of the day place of, you know, when all the stuff is rolling in on you like a fog, the anxiety, fear, whatever it is, he's saying, don't run to something or someone else because that, that could lead to idolatry where you're going to put your confidence in something or someone other than God. Don't even try to figure it out by looking into yourself to solve the problem. That could even become a type of idolatry where you're putting your trust more in you than in, your, than in God. And so he's saying, no, 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 no. As you're lying on your bed, processing all this stuff, in that moment, he's saying, be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he's, that he's got this. And a great way to, uh, to end the day is, is to invite God in that place uh, of, to search your heart, like some people call it like a, an evening examine. Uh, David said this in Psalm 139. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. As you're lying on your bed, God, what am I anxious about? What, what could potentially rob me of sleep? What am I worried right now? What am I still carrying from the day? Lord, you know, uh, uh, test me and know me. Expose those things. See if there's any offensive way in me. Like, am I running to someone or something other than you, God? Because that would be offensive to God. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. And David gives this... Uh, this really cool instruction now on how to, how to really lean into the ways of God. He says this in verse five, offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. And that word sacrifice, again, that's, a, that's a, such a foreign word to us, but really what David is saying is to offer the sacrifices of the righteous. He's saying, he's basically saying to the people, hey, you need to approach God you need to respond to God's presence in a way befitting of someone who is putting their trust in him. Right? David is saying to them in, in, in that place, and in that place, demonstrate your trust by worshiping God. Demonstrate your trust in God by worshiping God. Because again, to them, the word sacrifice, that's synonymous with, with, with worship. That's how they would worship God. They would offer sacrifices. But basically what he's saying is, hey, in this place, in, 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 like he's teaching them the ways of God, right? And, and we see this over and over in the Bible, and it, and it doesn't always make sense, but it's like in the most unlikely places, at the most unlikely times, when you lack peace, what should you do, David says? You should worship God. You should worship God. And, and you know, we need to consider this. Like, worship is so much more than a song. Like, it's way bigger than just the the few minutes when we gather together or when you gather in your small group. We need to understand that when we, these songs that we sing, they're just tools that have been given to us or vehicles, if you will. They're just, they're just, they're just opportunities. They help us express to God. They help us through song to declare our trust in God alone. 
See, worship is incredibly powerful because through our song, we can declare our allegiance. We can declare who we're putting our trust in. And, and again, you see this in the Bible at the most unlikely times. Like uh, Joshua 6, the people of Israel, they're coming up on Jericho. Massive walls, you know, they have this great big city. And God goes, okay, you guys, here's how we're going to win this one. I want you to put the worship team out at the front. And I'm like, that's a good idea. I think, Jonathan, you go out there. But no, but, I, but it's like, that's how we're going to win the war. Let's put the priests out front and, and, and no, they're not going to be carrying guns. They're going to be carrying trumpets. And in that place of worship, their, you know, their, their declaration of who their confidence is in, our confidence isn't even in our army or their ability to shoot arrows or whatever they've got. Like our confidence is in God. And what happens in the story? Those walls whoosh, just come tumbling down and they take the city. Uh, Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. Uh, they're in chains. They're, they've been beaten. It's midnight. And what are they doing? Are they, you know, filing a grievance? No, they're worshiping. They're singing praises to God. They're declaring, they're declaring, you know, they're basically, they're making an exchange with God. Like we're in prison, but, but our hope is still in you. Our trust is still in you. We're, you know, our peace, we can have peace now in this crazy place because, because of you, because nothing can separate us from you. And, and as they do that, what happens? The prison doors fly open and all the chains fall off. Worship, uh, we're going to go back to worship here in a little bit. Why don't we have the worship team come on up? Worship reminds us of, reminds us of who God is. Worship reminds us that he's with us, that he's greater than anything that we are facing. And so David, you know, knowing that God is with him, knowing that God is listening, trusting in the ways of God, all these things brought him to a place of such incredible peace in the midst of a crisis that he could say this. And let's end off by reading this together. Verse eight, in peace, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.